0: Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice. And we're here to provide a moment of sanity during a week of ministry. A busy week of ministry.
1: We uh, hope to dive into the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. We've both been in ministry for
0: over 20 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as, as we are, we are ready to dive into the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every ministry leader has. Wow. Excellent. So today we are joined by an amazing guest, Dr. Bob Rice. Yes. Welcome, Bob.
2: Hey, is, is it weird that the thing you say right after anonymous are both of your names?
0: Nobody's ever questioned that. No,
2: Taylor, has, cons- you, Taylor,
1: Taylor has constantly <laughs> questioned that. He's like, why do you say Ministry Leaders Anonymous and then you tell them who you
0: are? So, right. yeah. Chris, so tell them, where did the Ministry Leaders Anonymous name come from? Like, why is it called that?
1: It really seeks to be a roundtable discussion, kind of like a Alcoholics Anonymous or something like that, where people gather to share their hurts, hopes, and hungers and journey with each order. <laughs> journey <laughs> journey with the
2: each other. The Franciscan order. <laughs> order, the Dominican order. the Yeah, no, yeah the, each the order actually yeah. still
1: works. But journey yeah. with each other in order to, take a step closer to Christ together. So often ministry leaders are focused on growing others in the faith. And here we grow together.
0: And we don't have a 12-step program.
1: No.
2: And you're not anonymous. Not really. Well, we're not, but, but everyone else listening, the <laughs> listeners are anonymous. Oh, nice. nice that you feel that way about them. We yes. don't need to know who you are. No, we- please, if you send any emails, do not put your name. <laughs> okay, touche. <laughs> Good. So tell us a little bit more about
1: yourself because typically the person who belittles me on the podcast is Matt. Yes, that's but, my job. But Matt, now it is Bob. It's just guys, guys, mean- <laughs>
2: the last name of Rice. That's all that, <laughs> that's,
1: uh, that's, right? yeah, that's yeah. coming out. It's two
0: against one today. And
1: no, it's not two against one. You can't belittle me. It's <laughs> oh. only Bob
0: Rice's turn. <laughs> oh.
2: (laughs) So I'm Bob Rice. I'm not related to Matt Rice, at least uh, biologically. Interestingly enough, I was just in Springfield with Bishop Edward Rice.
0: I was going to ask you how many other Rices you've run into in the field of ministry or just in Catholic, whatever. How many other Catholic Rices have you ran into?
2: You and Bishop Edward Rice. Nice. Yeah, so. But I teach at Franciscan University of Steubenville. I teach uh, catechetics, uh, a lot of courses in youth ministry. That's really been my major focus. Previous to that, I was in a parish situation for about a decade with youth ministry. And it, that's always been my passion. I've um, been involved in the youth conferences now for over 25 years and yeah, praise God for that.
1: So you said parish situations. It's like, yeah, you said I've been in parish situations <laughs> prior to that. I'm
2: like, okay. It call. wasn't one parish for about two, I was at one, I was at a multi-parish situation. I think that's what I was going to say for a couple years. And then I was in a parish, just one parish for like seven years.
1: Well, the fact that you call it a situation is perfect because <laughs> call, calling in a negotiator, we have to disarm this situation. That's right. Yeah. I I feel you. I feel you.
0: And many ministry leaders, I think, would say the same thing. I'm in a situation. (laughs) (laughs) How's your job? It's complicated. (laughs) It's
2: a situation. I don't know how to post my status on Facebook (laughs) regarding my job right now. Yes, yes. Complicated.
1: Well, good. So you have uh, a number of different areas of expertise, but one of the pieces is some of the conversations with bishops regarding a document that they're trying to
2: formulate right now. Yeah. Years ago, my dissertation, because you mentioned I was a doctor, was specifically on youth evangelization in the United States. And the major focus of that was our current working youth ministry document from the bishops, Renewing the Vision, Mm. published in 1997. So that was almost 25 years ago. And one of the major recommendations, foundations of my dissertation was we probably need a new one for, for a number of reasons. I actually tried to argue that it wasn't just out of date, but even there were some things within the document that could have been more effective. So I've been advocating for that at a lot of youth ministry leaders' conventions and doing workshops on that for a bit. And a little bit of a dream coming true, it's it's happening. And it's happening uh, in due part thanks to Pope Francis. You might remember a couple of years ago, he did the Synod on Youth, the Faith, and Vocational Discernment. Yes, And the document that came from that, there's a few documents that came from that, um, but the major one from Pope Francis was called Christus Vivit, Christ is Alive. Mm-hmm. And part of that document recommended that every Episcopal conference would reflect on the document and create a directory that would apply to that context. So in the June meeting of the bishops, it got all the attention, of course. They ratified that they would go forward with a youth and young adult document. And then they mentioned something about communion as well. I'm not exactly sure, but the big news of was that it, conference. Sure it was the other way? <laughs> actually, as they were coming through the agenda, the only thing I suggested, I'm like, get us before the Eucharist conversation. And we were, it was like the agenda right before the Eucharist wow. conversation. <laughs> so they were all gearing up for the Eucharist fight. It's like, yeah, kids, that's fine. Yeah, we'll do it. All right. All right. Let's do talk whatever, about the Eucharist. Do whatever. Right. So no, there's more enthusiasm about it uh, than that. But interestingly enough, even with the Eucharist document, they're hoping to publish it. It's a pretty quick turnaround. Hmm. They want it to, they want to vote on it by now next November. So that would be November of 2022, which is quick for a bishop's document. Right. And I think in some part, because 2023, they're going to have the major focus on the Eucharist. I think they're going to do Eucharistic Congress. They were actually planning to do that before all the Biden stuff and everything else, you know, was happening. Mm -hmm. So, but that's probably a whole that's a conversation for another podcast that I have no expertise in, so find somebody else.
0: And it will not be on this podcast. <laughs> no. Yeah,
1: exactly. But, but here here's the thing that's stirring in my heart. My hope is that you have
2: maybe some influence in the
1: conversation. Are you going to be able to convince them not to put a picture or images on the front? Because the two documents in youth ministry that have come have both been dated very
2: quickly yes. by the images on the front. I don't Was know. Because one
0: if you... of them had a Walkman on.
2: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's it's so yeah. It, it's got it, devil it, sticks, you know, yeah. he's like playing back. It's, it's they're like all, they're on a hacky sack circle.
1: (laughs) It's like Justin Timberlake today and then back when he was in NSYNC. And you're like, whoa, that was a long time ago. And yeah. there he is on Renewing the Vision. But the Vision of Ministry, which was uh, the first document, what was that, 1978?
2: Yeah. The picture was so bad and grainy that it really didn't date itself because it's almost like a Rorschach thing. Like, what is that? It's yeah. an elephant with a hat on
1: it. Anyway, so maybe they can ma- make a logo that'll look outdated. Well, if I
2: yeah. have any, uh, so I am asked to be, uh, you know, have some consulting with the document, which is a real honor. And if there's one gift I can give to the church, it would make sure the word vision is not included <laughs> in, the, in the title of the document. <laughs> So It would make it a trilogy if you it could was, just include <laughs> exactly. Return of the Vision. <laughs> Return, Return of the, of the vision. <laughs> vision. I like it. <laughs> that actually, okay, now I'm kind of coming back to this <laughs> all, right, all right, good. I like it.
1: I like it a lot. <laughs> so what are some of the objectives or the hopes of this new document?
2: Well, one thing that will be interesting is they want a youth and young adult framework. So as opposed to having two separate documents, most people don't even know the existence of the current young adult document, which is called Sons and Daughters in the Light. hmm And they hold on.
0: Did you hear about this, Chris? Yes. You actually knew about it. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Why didn't you tell me? I worked at the
1: Diocese <laughs> as Director of Youth, Young Adult, and Campus Ministry. Oh, uh, so you, you, you cheated. And so we had a number of those documents. And what's the
2: Campus Ministry document? Oh, I have no idea. Oh, okay, <laughs> I know. That was even more obscure than, yeah. than Sons and Daughters. I know it's out there. there. There was one. I know Sons and Daughters says something about it. I know they came out with, a, with another one. So the fact that they're combining all of that is a new idea, at least in the United States. It's happening in part because of the way Christus Vivit was written, the European understanding of youth and the Latino understanding of youth, the joveness, would be seen more as a sixteen-year-old to twenties into into thirties, and that actually does bring about some confusion when high school or junior high youth ministers read Christus Vivit. Pope Francis keeps referring to youth ministry. Mm-hmm. In our contemporary expression, it would probably be more young adult ministry that a lot of that topic is for. And so one of the ideas behind the document would be just to give some clarity as to what are some of the principles in that document and how do we apply it in various contexts? Because junior high ministry is a great example. Pope Francis wasn't thinking of a Mm 12-year-old when he wrote Christus Vivit. However, there are general principles that he brings up in that document and that came up in the Synod that are very applicable to that age. And so I think that's going to be part of the unpacking of the document. I think the idea is to take the kinds of conversations that were occurring around the Synod and uh, that were, you know, manifest in the final document of the Synod, as well as Christus Vivit, and then bring it into an American context. Okay.
1: Uh, We see that kind of problematic situation when I have taken Youth to World Youth Day. Right, right. I was going
0: to mention the same thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: and that, and that's so that is fascinating because you show up with
0: high schoolers and everybody else has young adults.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the only. Yeah, you know they're Americans if they're teenagers. Yeah, right. But but if they say youth ministry and they're talking about young people it doesn't matter because it's all about us in the United States. It's (laughs) all about what we think. And so we define it that way. So we're bringing the center of the universe. You know,
2: I'm a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. And so I have a shirt that says Tampa Bay Buccaneers world champions. And I just think, you know, do all the nations of Africa know who their champion is? You know, do they know, you know, do the people in Australia living in the outback, do they know their champion resides in Tampa Bay? Indeed, And his name is Tom Brady. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. You're right. There's a that affects the way we look at everything. It's actually kind of surprising. Only 8% of Catholics in the world reside in North America. Mm-hmm. You know so it's it's a very small piece of the pie but we're, we're getting a little bit off track i think from the the topic of it
1: yes so in regards to like you mentioned the bishop's hopes what yes. are some of your hopes as dr bob rice someone who's been influencing formation in the field of ministry for a number of years
2: you know a lot of my hopes came true even just with christus vivid you know an emphasis on an encounter with jesus christ an emphasis on relational ministry you know that 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 idea of accompaniment so what's what's really beautiful is the Spirit's been moving the church in this direction. And so I'm excited, I'm very excited for the document if just in that, if we can keep those themes present and focused, that is going to be a real effective thing for folks in the field. Right now, I mean, and I jokingly have a doctorate, but it feels like you have to have a doctorate to get a clear vision of what the church is asking today for youth and young adult ministry. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've you know you've got sons and daughters in the light that campus ministry document that you're in charge of the diocese and you don't even know exists, <laughs> uh, renewing the vision. Uh, Christus Vivit, uh, you've got what's been going on in the encuentro process, and they've had a few of them, you know, that have spoken, you know, specifically to that. You've got a, a world of statistics, you've got a rise of the nuns, you have all these things coming together, and it feels like you need to have, you know, tabs in about eight or nine books. Yep. Just to get clarity, and right. as we know, and no offense to any of our listeners, those involved in youth ministry aren't necessarily known as "quote unquote" readers. Nope. And <laughs> really, just a just a clear vision. I, I also think a clear language. When I did research looking back at some of the benefits of those documents, you know, renewing the vision, and it had flaws, but I think overall it was a very successful document. And one of its greatest successes was it gave a language for people that approached youth ministry in a lot of different ways to be able to come to the table and have discussions about how they were implementing it. It's exciting for me to think that we could have a shared language of youth and young adult ministry. I think that Mm -hmm. was something, even though sons and daughters and renewing were written at the same time, they didn't reference each other. They didn't talk to each other. They didn't use the same goals. They didn't have the same kind of language. So I think just having a shared conceptual, you know, what do they say? Like social engineering begins with verbal engineering, Um, you know, in a positive way, Having a good verbal engineering in regards of what we want to be seeing happening as a church yeah. could could bring about change. Yeah, yeah, if we
0: want those high schoolers to have a bridge into ministry, yes, like having the the ministry leaders in each of those areas having a common language would be a, an excellent start. Yeah, yeah, you know, for that to actually start happening. Yeah. Um, because right now when they typically when they leave high school, if they don't, don't go into a, a very vibrant Catholic ministry or campus ministry, whatever, they, they tend to fall off the off the map. It's
2: a serious disconnect. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's worth asking the question, how much can a document help? Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to be like, oh, the bishops are going to write a document and that's going to change everything. Mm-hmm. But I do like to think of a document from the bishops, from our shepherds, from the successor of the apostles. I think in a way it acts like a rudder on a ship. Yeah. Right. It's a small part. But it's an important one because it starts steering the language, the vision, the way it's supported in the right direction. And I think one of those directions would be a better connection. It's a uniqueness in the United States that we have very strong high school youth ministry. I mean, Mm -hmm. even though it could be stronger and you look at our Protestant brothers and sisters and it's... Yeah, you know, they're doing a lot more with yep. it, yep. but comparatively to the rest of the world, I mean, right. just the idea of having a paid lay person doing youth ministry, you know, they go, what, how do you do that? So I think that is actually a gift we can give to the rest of the world. And it's something that Pope Francis wasn't thinking too much about, probably hasn't experienced much of it, mm-hmm. but I think it's a gift that we can figure out how to connect better with uh, further,
0: well, furthering of ministry. Like just to take that a little bit further, because that that idea of youth ministry, I wasn't aware of. Mm. Like that, it, that was very. And it's very unique within yep. the United States or within the Catholic world. That eight percent of the Catholics are the ones who are doing ministry to high school students. Yeah, that sounds crazy to me. It,
2: it, it is a little nuts. Well, some high schools aren't as well established in the rest of the world, so we have a different. You know, and that's part of the tension is we have this eighteen-year-old line in the United States where you're a minor or Your major. I don't know what you are. You're (laughs) you're an adult. That's it. Yeah, you're an adult. (laughs) Legally, you're an adult. And so I think one of the other, Chris, as you were asking, what can this document do? We need stronger clarity on what does it mean to accompany a teenager in a time of safe environment? Mm. How might we do that in a way that keeps them safe? but doesn't protect them from the positive relationships that could help them grow in their faith. And I think that's a constant tension right now for those of us that work with young people.
1: Well, I mean, that constant tension is a generous way to put it. I think that it's the lawyers (laughs) are wagging the the pastoral reality of the church. And I think that's the tail wagging the dog. I think lawyers should be at the table. I think those conversations should be had. Um, But I also think that the... uh, The urgency of the gospel sometimes gets buried beneath regulation created by some of these safe environment policies or some of the impressions that they leave. One thing that I liked about, just to shift back,
2: is uh, it was... Well, let me just say one thing about that. You're right. Conversations. I think that's the thing that really needs to occur. I mean, there are some dioceses that are doing it well and are having the conversations, but it needs to be a constant, you know, that really people can sit down and say, this is our pastoral plan. This is how we, because yeah. they're going to have to. I mean, like one of the major themes of Christus Vivid is accompaniment. Yeah. So this document is going to say that the effective way of doing ministry is accompanying young people. And then it's, this is part of like a unique thing. The bishops have to be able to speak to. So how do we want you to do that in this age of yeah. safe environment? It's not an easy answer, but yeah. it's an important and question.
0: Chris did this years ago when it was either Snapchat or Instagram or something. Myspace. Um, you basically, <laughs> it might have been Myspace. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris went to the diocese and said, how can we do this? Not can we do this? Not if, but not how. If, but yeah. how can we do this? Because we need to do this. Yeah. We we need to be on Snapchat. Like the parish needs to be on Snapchat and maybe, was it Snapchat? Or it, was, it was, yeah. You know, we need to be on Snapchat because that's where the kids are. How do we do it safely? Right. Not not can we do it or if we can do it. And did they respond well to that? They did. Yeah. And it was a dialogue. It was. Yeah. Yeah, And that's
2: and sometimes it just takes that kind of advocacy. I've found in different dynasties, like communities of youth ministers kind of got together and they said, let's go talk to them. And usually the response has been pretty good. Mm -hmm. So.
1: But but utilizing it, there, there were all these different things and caveats. So it was like ministering with one thumb tied behind your back. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> on, on social, but uh, yeah, what but one thing I wanted to note because we talked about that eight percent. And I actually think that we can learn a lot from the other ninety two percent. So Latin yes. America and those movements that are taking place, like once they hit age eighteen, it's yes. not like they're out in the ether. It's actually that they've already been a part of the movement that's their older brother has been bringing them to since they were fifteen years right. old or fourteen years old. And then we see it, and I've seen it try to get establishment or footing here stateside. And they're like, well, then everyone over the age of eighteen needs to go through this class and this I training, and, <laughs>
2: and we can't. It's like, no, no. We but love this is, our we love our classes. Yeah, th- this <laughs> yes. is
1: my little brother. He's just gonna come with me the whole time. And there's a there there's a cultural right. reality of of young people as opposed to high school and then college and, right. and, and these segmentations. So I think that that is something to note. That it's just because we're doing youth ministry well, might be because
2: um, everyone else has just been doing ministry and not having yeah, to say. Yeah, that's a that's a fair statement. I would say probably at least. Well, in terms of the more structured of it, um, you know, the formation of it. You're absolutely right. In some ways, our society seeks to separate young people from families and from community. I mm-hmm. mean, we just send them off to a school system and kind of brand them in that direction. Matt and I were talking about this a little bit at lunch. You know, you talk about a lot of the Latino culture and when they think of a young person, they'll, they won't think of like the 18 year old, they'll go younger. But The issue is these Latino young people are in high schools and Mm -hmm. American culture is the devourer of all cultures. And so that's a huge issue that was brought up in the last Encuentro process that, for example, Latino Catholic teens are the largest group of teenagers in the United States. Yes. They're also the largest group leaving the Catholic church right now. It's mm-hmm. a huge concern as they get into that second and third generation. Yeah. And those are all the dynamics that we need to be able to respond to as a church. Funny you mentioned, I don't know, do you know the history of the teenagers at World Youth Day? Mm-mm. When uh, John Paul II said he wanted to do World Youth Day in America, that was back in uh, 93. 1993. The bishops were a little nervous about it, but they're like, well, that's great. And they said, you can come to Buffalo, Minneapolis or Baltimore? And John Paul II said, I'm coming to Denver, like no option. <laughs> and they're like, does he just like skiing? like, what's he going to be doing up there? So they kind of freaked because at that time, Denver wasn't like a Catholic hub of anything. Mm-hmm. And even if you just look at the dynamics of Catholics in the United States, you know, it's everything's on the east of the Mississippi and then you just get little dots out yep, in the west. Right. So, what the bishops did is for that World Youth Day, they lowered the age. It used to be 18 and up was World Youth Day. And they lowered the age because they thought maybe they could make it like a confirmation requirement. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> but they knew that we had structures in the United States that would get teenagers there. You mm-hmm. know, we had, you know, Life Teen was growing, uh, NFCYM was well established, yep. there were all these other groups. And that event really was a very high schoolish event. But it's the only, if you go to any other World Youth Day and you see a teenager, they're always American. I remember when they did it in Toronto. Toronto was going to try to hold fast to that 18. And eventually they they just kind of gave in because you just, you can't stop it. Too much. But that all speaks to kind of the different dynamics of even what we understand to be a youth, Mm -hmm. what the effective way to minister to young people are.
0: How long ago was it in your dissertation that you recommended we have a new document?
2: It was 2016, and uh, that's when I finally, I mean, you work on a dissertation forever, right? And saying that we needed a new document wasn't a shocker of a statement. Sure. I, I think everybody did. Everybody knew that instinctually, but what I tried to highlight, my biggest, my biggest critique of renewing the vision was a lack of an evangelistic focus mm-hmm. that was yep. present. It, it, it had these components of youth ministry, and again, the language of that was very, very cool. You know that we would have this idea of components of youth ministry, which they alphabetized. and evangelization was one of those components, yeah, yeah, and my argument was, you know, Pope, you know Saint Pope Paul the says evangelization is the grace and vocation of the church, right yep. it's not a component of youth ministry. Yeah. It's the yeah. mission of the church. <laughs> I think when it talked about evangelization, it was probably trying to get more at that specific, charismatic proclamation, you know, that missionary thing. But even then, if that is the case, you don't alphabetize that. No, You don't start with advocacy because it starts with (laughs) A. Um, You you lead with that. And again, that also reflects a lot of the language of Pope Francis and, and the bishops as of late. So I think just by its nature and the climate of the other documents that have been written, I'm confident this one will be very focused on a charismatic proclamation, evangelization, accompaniment. Mm-hmm. The question is if it can really do so in a strong way that might you know, move the needle on this somehow.
0: Yeah, so we're looking at every 20 years, roughly, that we've gotten a new document. It seems to be. I mean, you the know? first
2: one was in 1976. Mm-hmm. You know, the other one was in 1997. Mm-hmm. So this one will be 25 in, years later. You know, whatever. 25 years later.
0: Do you envision this one being rewritten or redone in 20 years? I think so. Every every 20 years at least. Yeah, like it feels I would like say we should.
2: at least. You yeah. know, I mean, there's some non-negotiables to ministry. Sure. And you know, there's ways that Young Life was doing things in the 1940s that still works today. Right. And and I think part of my hope would actually be to drill down on emphasizing those non-negotiables. But you're always going to do it in the context of the American culture at the time yep. because it is evangelistic and missionary. If you're a missionary, you're a missionary to what? To a culture. When the culture changes, you need to start changing the language and the understanding. It wouldn't necessarily be the non-negotiables, but the manner in which that ministry plays itself out. You could be more effective if you're just closer to the actual movement of the culture.
0: So do people, when they are going into writing these, are they thinking of writing an everlasting document or are they thinking about writing something that will work for the next 15 years? Because I think that would change question. That would change the way you write yeah, and I the think way so. you put in there because you could get a little bit more, like you could think less evergreen yeah, and think more practical well, if you're thinking just for the next 15 years.
2: Right, well, I think in terms of, you know, the bishops want to be able to say what they can say and what they have authority in saying and then give a lot of room for others. So mm-hmm. just going again back to renewing the vision, one of the nice things it did is it gave a, it gave a vision, it gave a language, it gave an outline. And dozens of books were written that were talking about how to implement renewing the vision. Renewing the vision didn't try to go so far as to say, you know, here's a sample youth night. It's got to leave it to the expertise of the different folks in the field. But this is just trying to give the idea of it.
1: Right. And so they called it a framework. Right. Right. Which which to a degree sounds like, okay, this is kind of how I'm supposed to do things. Now the framework is being broadened in this new document for youth and young adults. Right. If it's going to be considered a framework at all. But that, I think, was one of the strengths. And that's actually the
2: language. What the bishops agreed on was a pastoral framework for youth and young adults. So they're going to keep in that direction. I think that was one of the
1: huge assets to this document. Yeah. Was that someone could look at it and say, these are pieces that I should be implementing. Yep. And then the conversation was, how do I implement all social justice and a little bit of the other seven components or whatever it is? But I think it's going to be a challenge to do that now that we're broadening. Just the document alone to be able to say youth and young adult combined might require a lot of attention in the document to help reframe or reform a lot of the uh, understanding in the church as it exists in the United States today.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's potential difficulties with doing youth and young adult, right? I mean, they're very different cultural contexts. You have the whole safe environment issue, which, you know, applies very strongly to one. And, you know, it's not like it ends. It's not like, oh, they're 18, who cares, you know? So those principles are still going to go forward. I like the idea. And again, it's lots of conversation, lots of committees, but Pope Francis focused on uh, vocations in the synod. And I think there's something about trying to portray a vision that isn't so much worried about age as much as stage of spiritual life. It begins with a vocation to holiness, Mm -hmm. which flows into a real ethos of a vocation of work, which can culminate in a sacrament, a vocation of service, marriage, priestly life, or maybe consecrated religious. I think that kind of thing, if we can start having people think that's the flow, no matter what the age is, so that when you get a 25 year old who is coming to the church for marriage prep, which really is a young adult type of ministry. Absolutely. That person might go, well, let's see, did they get the vocation to holiness? Like, where are they on this chart? And then what can we do to move them in this direction? Maybe, you know, we don't need to just myopically focus on the sacrament of matrimony and how to prepare them for it. I mean, you ideally you would in the sense of just being holy, but you could see the bigger picture because there's 28-year-olds on that spectrum that aren't as far as 17-year-olds. You yeah, know, necessarily. Yeah.
1: And, and the other side of it is important too. So the couple that is going to adoration on a weekly basis yeah. comes to the marriage prep and they're like ripping their eyes out because they're like, this is so basic. We already've <laughs> yes. yeah. we read Theology oh of the gosh. Body together. Right. Like That's is, where
2: we met. We met at a theology of the body conference, another young adult ministry, which isn't yeah. called young adult ministry. <laughs> right. Yeah, right.
1: yeah. And so then then they're almost being punished for seeking Christ because the lowest common denominator ministry approach has never been effective. No, it's killing everything. Yeah,
2: exactly. I yeah. would actually be fine if we did a Lowest common denominator. I feel like we do like a middle Mm. thing, you know, like we're not low enough to just say, okay, we need to talk about Jesus with you, but we're not high enough to think that we assume that you love Jesus. We're kind of in this ish middle, like, well, you kind of know, kind of lukewarm, and I kind of want to spit you out of my mouth. That's kind of it, you know. (laughs) So, but yeah, you're right. You're you're absolutely right. Finding a, a framework that might help because young adult ministry is a funny thing. Like we have youth ministry because high schools are provide such a a solid cultural experience for many young people, not all of them. We'd have to speak to those different areas as well. But you don't have a young adult group like you have a youth group. You know, young adult ministry is not youth ministry with beer. Yeah. There's all these, you know, there, there's different, it could be. Huge, <laughs> well, the, huge caveats. I've heard people that, that,
1: why are you involved in young adult ministry? I want to date someone. So yeah. some people are coming for, you know, right. flirt to convert type of thing. Some people are coming because it's vocational they, discernment. They, they just want community. Yeah. And some people are coming because they want formation. Yeah. And all those young adults are at the same table. And this person's dissatisfied because there's no girls that are texting him back. This person's dissatisfied <laughs> because all. Beer. All we do That's is right. community. And the other person is like, and there's never enough beer, you know? And so it's like, how do we, how do we reconcile those realities? It, good luck.
2: You yeah. Know? yeah. Hey, praise God. Well, thankfully it's not, you know, it's not me, but it, but I'm I'm honored to be a part of it. I'm honored to be in some of those conversations and uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see where it'll go. I think it's going to be great. I mean, I think, I, I think it'll be beautiful that the bishops will be able to talk positively about youth because going back to some of what you were saying earlier, Unfortunately, a lot of the statements regarding young people in the last decade has been in the context of sexual scandals mm-hmm. and to be able to step forward with an evangelistic vision an evangelistic desire an evangelistic heart that recognizes the needs of young people and tries to answer them, I, th- I think was going to be a great thing. Good.
1: By way of summary, some documents are already there. And some we don't even know about, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, So this is another step. Yeah. So we've already taken some steps as a church and the dialogue leading up to this conversation, I think is going to be exciting. So listeners, please pray for this process. Please Please pray for those who will be putting ink on paper. The other piece is conversations about young people and the tensions that exist surrounding it are worthy of being had, Mm. Um, whether it's safe environment, whether it's taking them to World Youth Day, whether it's just how do we do outreach or charisma, you know, right. uh, with young people and young adults and things of that nature. So awesome. Bob, any closing
2: thoughts, final thoughts from you? No, no, it's just, yeah, uh, everything you said, just please pray for the church, pray for the bishops. I think we all would agree that nobody would want to be a bishop. It's a tough thing. And, and I think they're a little gun shy of you know, saying anytime they say a strong, you know, everybody wants them to be courageous, and then they say something and they're like, "Be quiet." So, yeah. uh, just really ask the Holy Spirit would guide the bishops and all of their deliberations, including you know the the best way forward with youth and young adult ministry in the United States.
1: Awesome. Well, Bob, how can people find you if they want to poke the bear?
2: Uh, Bob-Rice.com is my website. Bob-Rice.
0: There you go. And all of your stuff is on there, even your new newish podcast. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm in two podcasts. Uh, I'm in one with my good friend Father Dave Pavanka. Uh, called They That Hope, Seeking Humor and Hope in a Crazy World. See, I knew that tagline without looking Look at, at you. anything. No. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then I'm also preparing for the diaconate. And part of my preparation has been just to talk to people who are deacons I call it "Speaking with Deacons." It's an every other week podcast. God willing, I'll be ordained in November. So, I'm and obsessing. I've
0: really, I've really enjoyed that podcast. I haven't, I haven't listened to the other one, but yeah. I'm going to start.
1: <laughs> I've listened to the other one, and I've enjoyed the other one. There's a lot of pop culture in there, and Father Dave and yes. Bob get to argue over what uh, Star Wars film they enjoyed the most and things of that nature. So it's, it's really it's, it's enjoyable. A good time. Yeah. it's a good time.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks guys for joining us today. Please uh, send any feedback you have to mla. ablaze.us and share this podcast with someone.
1: And here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone.
0: If you want to go far, we go together. And don't tell them your name ever. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Take some time this week to pray for other ministry leaders and to uh, pray for those working on these documents in the church.
0: We'll see you guys next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. And God bless you.